Let me first say I would like to thank Paula Giddens and Penn for having the vision and determination to bring us together. This is a very wonderful event, but had a very tragic moment in the history of this nation. A tragic moment in the sense that we're still trying to come to terms with the ramifications and repercussions of institutionalizing a discourse of positively charged whiteness and negatively debased blackness. It is a constitutive feature of the emergence, the sustenance, and now the decline of American civilization. And a fundamental challenge of every black writer, this is why I think you have to read John Leonard's essay in The Nation, because what he understands about Toni Morrison's work is that she's able to actually do something that is very difficult, not only for black writers, it's difficult for every person of African descent in the Western world, and that is to critically love black folk to affirm a black joy and a black love in the midst of a civilization that, whose public face for black folk has been one of violence and terror. That's why I begin with what Josephine Baker said when she said, the very idea of America makes me tremble, it makes me shake, and it gives me nightmares. That's serious talk. Like darkest in jazz, she went through St. Louis, July 1917. USA is the most violent nation in the history of modern nations. <laughs> it is the most violent labor history. Look at the railroad strike of 1876 and 1886. Look at the history of vigilantism, usually from above, imposed against those below. Look at the history of the most unique institution in the United States. The closest thing we know is the lynching of horse thieves, and that's the lynching of black folk in which for every two and a half days for over 35 years, some black child and black woman and black man was hanging from some tree, some strange fruit that southern trees bear that Billie Holiday sang about with such poignancy. That's America too. Look at the violence of our everyday life, the market culture that goes hand in hand with what Toni Morrison playing in the dark so rightly calls the terror of freedom. And it is at our peril that as writers and as intellectuals, we don't understand that the, the most fundamental thing that constitutes a great and grand but flawed democratic experiment, namely the first new nation, the USA, its preoccupation with autonomy, with mobility, with individuality, has been predicated on the necks of folk who look like me and indigenous peoples and women and gays and lesbians and working people. Now you say to yourself, that's the majority of Americans. You're right. <laughs> That's part of the problem. <laughs> That's why you can't talk about race without talking about class, without talking about gender, without talking about sexual orientation, without talking about region. And we don't have time to talk about that today. <laughs> but that's the framework. 
But it means, for example, when we look at the fundamental myth or one of the fundamental myths of the United States is what? The frontier. Well, let's critically interrogate this myth. <laughs> the distinction between civilization and savagery, between the metropolis and wilderness, a conception of freedom predicated on a migration outward so that you get beyond the boundaries and you transgress the limits and you go beyond that which is circumscribed. Now, of course, in one sense, it's very, there's some very positive elements here. We have to read this dialectically. It does provide a certain cutting edge against parochialism and provincialism at its best, an expansive sense of what it is to be alive, an attempt to always enlarge one's horizons. Yes, I affirm that moment. But the other moment is one of imperial expansion and conquest and dispossession and subordination and devaluation and degradation of others. The frontier myth is predicated on a notion of others to be trampled upon for purposes of morally regenerating and rejuvenating and reinvigorating a white subject doing the expanding. What a notion. <laughs> Richard Slotkin has talked about this, the myth of American regeneration, the fatal environment in which red bodies become the very playground for the extension of white virility. Scarred bodies, dead bodies, and black labor becomes the very basis for white economic expansion. I was debating Arthur Schlesinger last night. I saw you. And uh, we had a nice dialogue, but I tried to be kind because <laughs> I, I didn't want to say, why didn't you talk about the age of Jackson in which it was the subjugation of indigenous peoples and at the same time the disenfranchisement of black folk in the name of expansion of democracy? That's Heron folk democracy. That's racially specific democracy. That's white folks democracy. Still positive. I'm a radical Democrat, but I understand what, who pays the cost for that expansion. Fundamental cost of expansion. And so at the same time, this sense of mobility, individuality, and autonomy, Henry Ford understood it. That's what the car is all about. Mobility, individuality, autonomy, right? This Emersonian onward transitions, upward crossings. It's Emerson's everything good on the highway. It's Huck on the boat, Ahab on the ship. Jack Kuryak on the road. Deeply American, but at the same time, it deals with the terror of freedom, a fundamental problematic of every American text that is substantive. What does it mean to go beyond the boundaries? What about death? You gonna die? What about the tragic? There are some intractable limits. Disease. What about dread and despair? Melville understood it. I will talk about the constraints, he said. But the terror of freedom from the vantage point of victims of Afro-Americans, victims who are Afro-Americans, but more than victims, always agents as well, is that this terror of freedom 
often takes the form of a freedom to terrorize us. So racial domination is part of the background conditions for this preoccupation with freedom. What a story. And the challenge becomes, and here I shall sit down, how in the world do people of African descent understand that predominantly white struggle with the terror of freedom, open enough to embrace its insights, but honest enough to understand its limitations, to understand that we are targets of that psychic and physical terror every day. The tragic moment was before April 29th, 1992. Some people need a wake-up call to understand how tragic it is, but tragic far before then, you see. But as targets of that terror, how does one then tell a tale about a nation of freedom lovers and terrorizers at the same time, but to do it in such a way that you can still affirm the humanity of those who have been targets of the tear without deifying these human beings, these flawed human beings who are Africans in the new world, but and yet still find a place where they can love themselves, love each other, and then have the courage to love other folk who are not the same color. To remind them of the humanity they themselves often lose as they deal with the terror of freedom and the terrorizing of people of color. What a challenge. And I think it's no accident that every grand black writer I know Falls back on black music because musicians can do it at their best. Because there was more space for black music to develop that sense of taking black humanity for granted, something that Ethiopians understand since they've never been colonized, never had white supremacist tricks played on their mind, as the ghetto boys would put it. Taking it for granted and we reflect on writing in a racialized society, and we look at the Zora Neale Hurston's and the Richard Wright's and the James Baldwin's and the Toni Morrison's and a host, host of others, John Wideman and others, we're, sh we're shook by the violence in the text the horror in this text, the terror in the text, and at the same time juxtaposed with the black love and joy and community, even if it's undergoing disintegration, even if it's self-afflicting at the same time, it is self-affirming. Sounds contradiction, oxymoronic, but it's part of trying to keep track of that black humanity. That seems to me fundamentally in the name of every black artist and every black human being one would hope all human beings very difficult to raise a society. That's a challenge, it seems to me. And it's a challenge that, in my own view, Toni Morrison has met more deeply and more critically 
than anyone who I know has picked up, who has picked up the pen. And hence, though she doesn't like to be a monument, and I don't like monumentalist conceptions of history, she <laughs> is a monument to the, to the degree to which it is impossible to pick up her text and not be reminded by these various aspects of the problematic that I'm talking about. And to the degree she does that is a degree to which the next generation can build on the best of what this particular slice of humanity had to give under the most adverse circumstances in a very peculiar society at a frightening moment in the history of this globe. 